Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I'm your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. And our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout and to help right some of the injustices that are happening against nonprofit leaders. We know that burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can grow, you can learn, and you can thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I'm joined by my chief of impact, Sarah Fanslow. Sarah, it is good to have you here on the podcast with me again. Hey, Tucker. Great to be here. And uh, today we have a, a pretty operational type of topic mm. that I think is one uh, that we continue to grow in, you know, in, in our learning around, frankly, how immensely valuable this type of process really is. Yes. And, and it really gets into the analysis around our revenue. And we call it, we just did a workshop with a United Way here in the country called the ROI and I workshop, mm. which is also known as the return on investment and impact. And uh, in fact, we also just did a similar workshop uh, a little bit shorter with another organization in Colorado. Uh, as well. And we really had some fascinating learnings from these workshops, which we've done before. Yeah. Uh, but now we want to sort of bring them forward into this podcast and allow and help. Hopefully this will be beneficial to all of you who are really needing to figure out how do you understand what kind of a return you're having quite literally on your investment uh, into your programs and on the impact that those are having um, based upon that investment. Um and so, but Sarah, before we hop into that, you know, I know that this is a, a big topic and I'm curious if you have any intro that you want to bring in before we start uh, getting into some of the pains or the issues that we know that, that we're experiencing and noticing nonprofit leaders are facing. I mean, I think for me, it's just that, um, you know, this is what we're really hoping, you know, is to share with y'all a little bit about what this is. Um you know, what it can do for your, your organization and then really how to do it. And, um, you know, hope that this is helpful for you nonprofit leaders out there who sometimes have to think about what do I cut? What do I stop doing? What do I start doing? And this is a framework to help you have conversations with others around those topics. So uh, we love this workshop and I'm really excited to share it with all of you. Well, and a lot of this is stemming. We have a shift in our work in our Thrive Impact 101 workshop around. Uh, I know this is your favorite shift, which is stop saying yes. It is my favorite. Yeah, the, that is it is the shift that nonprofit leader. The, the, this workshop is the six shifts that nonprofit leaders needs to make to lead in the next normal. And and but this shift in particular is one of those really starts to get down into the nitty gritties of not only how do we stop say how do we stop say yes at a high level but when we really get down into the data of it and especially for these you know these programs that are close to the heart and that we deeply care about but maybe aren't in alignment how do we get some objectivity to just understand what's most important for us to stop saying yes to so that we can double down on our most unique value and i'm curious of all the listeners for just a reflection moment how many of you feel like you're doing too many things in your nonprofit? And I'm guessing if you're like pretty much every other nonprofit that we ask this question to, nonprofit leader, you may be saying to yourself, yes, <laughs> we are doing too many things, usually too many programs, 
some that were brought forward by a donor once upon a time or some wild idea that a board member had, or you just have been adding programs as you continue to see needs in the community, whatever. Most of the time, nonprofits are not looking for programs to start. They're looking to figure out how do we stop saying yes? How do we stop saying yes to the things and so that we can double down? But Sarah, what, so what are some of the, what are some of the big pains that we've been noticing as we've gone through this workshop um, that we're noticing that nonprofit leaders are experiencing beyond having too many things to do? Um, What are some of the pains that we're noticing or the issues that nonprofit leaders are facing around the return on their impact and investment and being able to actually even understand that in the first place? Yeah, Tucker, it's a great question. Um, So first I want to zoom out a little bit and, you know, share with you what we do in this workshop and, and Tucker, you know, add in here. But this this workshop that we're talking about, Return on Investment and Impact, has a few key sections. The first is around really helping folks understand their culture of revenue um, and what is underneath the decisions they're making about what they raise money for and how they raise money. So that's the first part. And the second part is really then going into um, the the financial viability of programs. And in that, we look at a few key data points. Um, One is around, you know, how much revenue did that program bring in? How much expenses went out the door for that program? What is the average price per beneficiary? And was there a net gain or loss? Usually we look at data for five years so that we are not just looking at a moment in time, but understanding a fuller picture. Um, so that's, you know, the, the financial viability side. And then we're saying, okay, let's look at that financial viability in relation to the impact the program is having. Um, and there again, we, we usually folks have outputs, which is, you know, number of people served, number of events held, things like that, but, but also where it's possible outcomes, right? The difference or the change that was made as a result of that. And so, you know, we, we share or bring up data for each of those two sets, right? One on the X and one on the Y axis and say, looking at these two things together, how would you rank the financial liability, right? Is it high? Is it medium, low? Same with impact. And then we chart those re- literally on a graph. And I think what we've seen when we've done this is a few core things. One is that um, people just don't know. <laughs> People don't know, right? Even people who are so integrated in an organization, they may not know the specific financial picture of a given program. They may also not know the specific impact picture of a given program. And so I think one of the pains is just that um, so often we're just so busy doing that we don't take a minute to step back and say, let's actually look at this thing and let's look at it together with the same information, and because we don't do that, we then can't make decisions together about what to do. So that's one of the big pains I've seen. What, what about you? Oh, I mean, I feel like we can just dig into that specifically. Like, I think we overestimate what people know because we have a sense of what we understand based upon our own you know, data points, maybe our own intuition data because we've been in deep in the programs for a while. Yes. But to your point those are implicit understandings that may or may not be the same understandings that other people have. And I think we overestimate what others understand because maybe we have a sense of our own understanding, but we don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what other people understand. Yeah. Um, And so I'm appreciating like what you're sharing, Sarah, here is 
is in a space too of, of we, we talk a lot about co-creation and that at a very high level, co-creation is the next normal of nonprofit leadership. It is not top-down approaches to leadership. It is bottom-up co-creative oriented approaches. There's a lot of deep research on this from people like Peter Senge and mm -hmm. uh, you know, people like Dr. David Cooperwriter and Appreciative Inquiry. Um, but what this does is it actually lets us to co-create quite literally where we're cross-pollinating across departments. That was the one thing from this last workshop that we invited them to reflect on saying it was so helpful to hear voices from the program team and the marketing team and the development team and the impact evaluation team, right? It was so helpful to, for all of us in one room, look at the same data yeah, and then share our understandings that made that, you know, my implicit understanding, an explicit understanding for other people to be able to sort of react against and, and to, to reflect on. Um, and so I just wanted to keep going with what you were sharing because that's a massive pain. Big time. Right? Like we don't have a shared language, we don't have a shared understanding, and that's literally one of the foundational tenets of literally cre of creating a learning organization or a co-created yeah. or type of organization, is having a shared understanding in the first place. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think we saw in that more recent workshop we did. You know, we were helping an organization and the board in particular think about where they wanted to go from a revenue perspective. Now, the board generally knew the revenue picture, right? But, um, you know, we put the data together in a spreadsheet that showed over the past five years, what percent of income had come in from various revenue um, streams. And that deeper level of understanding, right, really generated a new conversation. And so I think the other thing that happens is we often provide roll-up data, right, which I think we think is helpful because people don't want to get into the weeds of data and, and maybe they won't understand it. But I, what I think you know, the other pain I've just seen is that sometimes that roll-up data doesn't allow people the understanding they need in order to think about what to do as a result of it. And so I think one of the other pains is just, you know, not sharing data or not sharing the level of data that is helpful to drive decision-making. And I think that's what we've really, one of the things we've really seen um, come true as a result of some of this work, literally showing people the data in a spreadsheet, in a workshop and saying, what do you see? What opportunities can you see in this data? And, and what strengths exist, you know? Yeah. You know, to that point, I think another pain that I'm noticing is, uh, and I, and I'm realizing this is a pain because of after the fact, after we went through the ROI and I workshop, and what people shared around their joy, basically, of, of this workshop was it was so helpful to have this data in one place. Yeah. And that one of the pains, you know, the, the other side of that is the data just all over the place. And like, yeah. you know, it's not in one place. Um, now, I think another pain that goes along with this is that, um, you know, to get that data into one place, uh, it takes some time, right? It's not... Yeah. That's, you know, and so I think sometimes some of the pain is, is the, is the psychological lift sometimes of, is it worth it for us to go into this space and, and gather some of this data? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but that, that lift is like, uh, I'm just going to keep doing the program or. Well, totally. And I mean, figuring out how to organize it in a way that makes sense to other people. I think, you know, one of the things we've done is, and we'll link a spreadsheet for y'all in the show notes in case you want to use it. Um, but yes. one of the things we've done is created a spreadsheet that, you know, has you list your programs and the outputs, but then 
says, right, did you meet your success targets? And, you know, so there's a few ways. I think one of the problems often is that programs have different outcome measures, which makes it feel like you're looking at oranges to apples, which then makes it hard to have a conversation. And one of the things we help folks do is look at out some apples to apples, right, in relation to outcome data from programs, which then makes it easier to say, okay, all things considered, even though these programs do very different things, did they achieve me measurable change? Did we even set out to, did, to define measurable change before we started it? And then did we reach the targets that we sent out to meet, right? Yes or no. And all of a sudden, then you have some apples to apples, even on programs that do vastly different things. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, so I guess uh, with that, you know, with these different pains, what is what is this next normal of nonprofit leadership look like when we're talking people are dealing in that pain? They have too many programs, which was the first pain that we talked about, right? Yeah. Too many things that they're saying yes to. And, you know, and how do we when we're so close to the work, right? Our hearts are connected to it. We're so passionate as nonprofit leaders and we're mission driven and we care about all the people. Um, what is the next normal of nonprofit leadership look like so that we don't burn ourselves out yeah. so that we can make uh, wise data driven decisions and, and the data going back to one podcast I remember we shared about, which is around, you know, the Hippocratic oath and do no harm. Yeah. That we need to look at the, the viability and the impact of our programs. Otherwise we could very well either be potentially hurting people and that could be the people that we're serving or our own nonprofit leaders that are part of our team in the first place. Um, so what does this next normal really look like, Sarah, from your perspective uh, around this kind of work? Yeah. Well, I think for me, the first thing <clears throat> is the willingness to have the conversation and, you know, open the windows, as it were, to what's happening. And I will say this this United Way we're working with, one of the things we've been struck by that we've talked about is just, um, listen, no organization is perfect. Like, and no person, nothing is perfect, right? Nothing is perfect. But often I think the fear of looking under the covers and the judgment that other people may have um, based on what's under there keeps us from doing that keeps us from saying, let's really look at this thing. And um, I think unless we do that, to your point, we can't know we're not harming folks. And we can't know that ultimately we're, you know, making a positive change. And so I think the first new normal is saying, you know what, like, we need to open the windows, we need to look under the covers, we need to look under the bed, we need to do our due diligence on the work that we're doing in order to make sure that what we're here to do is actually what's happening as a result of this work. So I think that first thing is just being open to the conversation and being open to the evaluation of what's happening and what's really going on. Yeah, I want to I want to devil's advocate here for just a minute. Like, OK, here I am. I'm a I'm an ED of a two million dollar nonprofit, right? I'm a small community based organization. And, and basically like, that's nice, Sarah, but I don't, I ain't got time for that. Like that's going to, that's going to take me too long. I don't even know where to start. Um, we got people who are knocking on our doors who are, you know, like if we take away from that, uh, well, I, I could very well be hurting somebody because I'm spending all this time on data. Right. Like why, why is this really that important? Like what's, what's made possible maybe even in, in just going there and, and getting the best that you can get done. 
Like, why would, why should I do that? If I'm in that situation, which is frank, frankly, probably most of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like totally. I mean, I think it comes down to the uh, two, two core things. One is, especially as the world is changing, it is really hard to get foundation on grant dollars unless you are really able to prove measurable change, right? And so I think from a fundraising perspective, doing that work to understand the impact you are having and where you are not sure what impact you are having so you can go and measure it is really important from a revenue perspective. I, I think secondly, you know, if you don't have these conversations, what's at least in my experience working in nonprofits, what happens is you just keep adding, 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 and nothing ever gets taken away. Mm. And what that means is that staff get burned out and ultimately you're able to deliver less value because you're just doing too much. And so I think any executive director sitting there worried about staffing, worried about retention, concerned about the quality of their impact really has to spend time here. And I think over time, it's going to generate a lot of value because it's going to allow you to have conversations about what you can stop doing and what your unique value is, which is where you want to be spending your time. And so that, that's what comes up for me, Tucker, but, but curious what's coming up for you there. Yeah, I think, I think to your point, this, you know, it's so funny when we share our mission with people around solving nonprofit leader burnout and, and some of these injustices that nonprofit leaders are facing, you know, even when I say this to people who aren't really connected to nonprofits, they're like, oh yeah, that must be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a cultural norm that nonprofit leaders are burning out. Totally. Like that's kind of what it is. I'm like, that, this should not be, this ought not to be. Again, this is part of our whole mm -hmm. mission here. And this is why we continue to realize our work is a social justice mission um, because so much of, of our work and systemically, you know, I was thinking of, uh, I was listening to a, a video from Peter Senge and he had this joke about like, you know, what are fish going to be? What, what do fish talk about? Well, it's really hard to understand what fish talk about, but I can be for damn sure that it's not, they're not going to be talking about the water, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that joke, which is like, this is the water we swim in. Like we don't yeah, realize right. it but when we start to recognize and underlying assumptions of what's really going on here. This specifically, Sarah, I think is one of the most powerful pieces to help us to not burn out. Yeah. We are just doing too many things Straight and up. we can't do it. We are not machines. No. Our, our whole management structure is built around the, the industrial age. This is a lot of what Peter Senge, who really coined the term, uh, the learning organization. And this is what, I mean, he literally said this in this video. He said, our existing management style is destroying people. Yeah. And one of those is, and, and I think one of the management styles from a nonprofit perspective is, is sacrificing ourselves on the altar of the mission and which ultimately means doing more, 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 more. Yeah. And we just need to get more efficient, 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 efficient. And, and, and I think what's so powerful about what, what this is, is it really does allow for us to say no to things. And I've noticed when people do that, I remember we did this workshop for an organization a couple of years ago and we had this matrix, right? You've talked about this a little bit, but there's this matrix of impact, high impact on the, on the Y axis up and down, you know, high impact at the top, low impact at the bottom and financial viability on the left side, low financial viability, viability and high financial viability on the right side, yeah. you know, and we're looking for those like what's viable, literally what's allows us to be sustainable financially. And I remember in the room, the first time that this organization in a collective way were able to put one of their programs into basically the one that we have as a big question mark or 
really it's the heck no category. Yeah. The first mm-hmm. time they were able to put, just literally just put it there collectively. It was like this weight lifted off their shoulders. It was fascinating to watch in the room happening. Yeah. Just yeah. to be able to go to that space and, and realize that we don't have to be doing everything. Totally. Yeah. I love, you know, I'm sure some of you all know, um, Adam Grant, uh, he's a, a pretty well-known speaker on things, organizational development and, and psychology. And he has this quote that I love, which is balance rarely comes from increasing efficiency. It usually involves reducing responsibility. The more priorities we have, the harder they are to juggle. It's better to do a few things well than be overwhelmed by many. A key to avoiding burnout is deciding what doesn't matter, what doesn't matter. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, to that point, this is what, as I've been learning more deeply about the water we swim in, we come from a world of the industrial age and the primary metaphor around the industrial age is the machine. Right. And what, and what are ultimately all of us in the form of is we're, we're almost like machines. Like we're, we're put in this management structure and these top-down leadership models that are about us being machines and yeah. just more efficiency. And that's what Adam's hitting on, which is no, more efficiency is not the point. More humanity and more learning and more you know space and pause for us to double down on the most unique things is really the next normal. It is. And it's hard to do. I mean, I will say, even with this, you know, this organization who brought us in to do this work with them, they had a really hard time saying no's, right? Really hard time saying no's. And um, and it's because they care, right? But, you know, saying no to a program means stopping working with people, right? It has a real impact. Um, And though, uh, we can't be our highest and best if we're serving everyone. It's just impossible. And so, you know, I think this matrix makes it clearer maybe what we need to do, but it doesn't make it easier to say no, right? It doesn't make it easier because it's still going to be hard. But I think that's the discipline. That's the next normal is deciding something really matters, but that you may not be the one for whom it's a unique value, right? Or you may not be the organization best place to deliver that value, and that doesn't mean that the work isn't important or the people being served aren't aren't being helped, but that it's not your highest and best. And I think that is the next normal. And even this United Way, I loved what they were doing that no, no has color to it, right? No can be a pause. Yeah. No can be. In fact, I, I remember one of the programs that they that they brought up were like, wait, this is this is something that one of our partners can do. Right. <laughs> I mean, literally, they were like wait a second, a no doesn't mean we're cutting things off. Even if, you know, I was thinking about a, a, a story that I brought forward once from uh, Kevin, our co-founder at Thrive Impact. You know, when he was the CEO of Feed the Children, he had this really close to the chest orphanage that they, lo- they loved and they worked with. And his program officer, um, you know, came to him and said, this, this program, uh, you know, the, the impact we're having on these kids costs about $2,500 per kid. We have a similar program that does the same impact and costs about $50 per kid. So Kevin was like, okay, well, what do we do about that? So they ended up sunsetting and literally, but that was a conscious choice that they made. That was the no that they made was let's sunset this program over the next two to three years and make sure that like, it's not cutting people off. Yes. It's just finding the right place for them for that program to be. And so, so that's where the word no can feel 
very psychologically heavy, right? I mean, literally the word decide means to kill choice. And so, uh, and that feels very, you know, almost like it could steal our agency. It's really hard. Yeah. But, but this is one of those things that I think if, if you can, any nonprofit can get into that space as your, as your quote says, your no's give power to your most important yeses. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most important, one of the most psychologically hard ones to do. But man, when you do it, the freedom that comes on the back end of this and the, and the culture shifts that's going to happen within your organization, like that's what's made possible and why yeah. this is important to do this. Absolutely. Mm. Well, Sarah, I, um, I know this is a short one today. We got to get going because, you know, we got things. I think you got kids. I got kids. <laughs> we got, but we wanted to record just some of this learning really quick that we've been having from this experience. Um, Sarah, I know that you mentioned so from a practical steps perspective, we're going to put a survey or not a survey, but a, a spreadsheet example. Yep. Um, for some of you, if you're not spreadsheet people, it might look a little daunting. Uh, but, but, you know, we may also put it down in just a simple way, too, that just start to go down this path. We also obviously do this type of workshop with every or with organizations too around uh, understanding your culture of revenue and what are the underlying paradigms? What water are you swimming in that you don't realize you're swimming in? And as well, help you to go into this path because sometimes people need coaches along the yeah. way. But what are some practical steps you see a nonprofit leader can take to really move this forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing is really just be open to looking at your programs from a financial viability and, and outcome perspective. It's going to be scary um, and it's really important. So the first is be open to doing that work. The second thing is, I think, just start where you're at, as you said, Tucker. Maybe you only have output data, not outcome data. That's fine, right? Like, get started looking at what it costs to do a thing versus what you're bringing in and overall what that price per beneficiary is against the change it's producing, right? Um, just get started there. And as Tucker said, we'll have the spreadsheet in the, the show notes and you can take a look at how to do that. And then I think the final thing is, you know, consider bringing in help. Uh, it is hard to have these conversations and it's it can be hard to lead them yourself, especially if you're the one doing the programs. And I've been in that seat, right? Yeah. Where you're yes. the one doing the programs and you feel so much tension around sharing your baby and getting feedback on it. You know, consider bringing in help to have the conversation and facilitate the conversation. As Tucker said, we do this all the time. We're happy to be that that guide. There are others that do it as well. But I think bringing in a third party facilitator can really help to craft the conversation in a way that can move it from shame into change, which is where I think you want to go. Tucker, what about you? What are what are your thoughts here? I, I just am sitting with that quote you just said, moving from shame to change. <laughs> like. I thought you'd like that one. I was like, that's a good one. That's a good one. Because that's exactly what's going on, right? Totally. You, just, you nailed it. Well, I think the last thing, just to add very briefly on what you shared is, is, is don't overestimate what you think people understand. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not because they're stupid or you're stupid. It's because we just generally speaking think that other people have more understanding than they do, or they think that they have the same understanding that we have. And that's regularly not the case. Test those assumptions. Yeah. Bring that out and say, here's my understanding, but what's your understanding? Yeah. And be genuinely curious about what other people's perspective is on some particular data points or whatever is is be stay in that space of curiosity and challenge your own assumptions. Mm. And overestimate how much people don't understand versus yes. overestimating how much people do understand. Mm. That's what I would say about, frankly, anything, but this is one of those key pieces, you know? So that's what I would say. 
Love it. Yeah, make the, the implicit explicit. Make the implicit explicit. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks for this uh, uh, quick podcast today. I know we're about at 30 minutes and uh, grateful to be able to debrief this a little bit here. Um, and we're going to have a, quite a few things in the show notes. So take a look at that. You can always go check them out at thriveimpact.org slash podcast. Also, if this is supportive for you, uh, we'd invite you to leave a review, which I think the only place you can leave reviews is on Apple. So go up there in the Apple podcast section and leave a review. If this is helpful for you, love to know and uh, hear from you in terms of what's benefiting you. So otherwise, see you on the next uh, podcast on Thrivers Nonprofit Leadership for the next one. Bye, everyone. Thanks, y'all.